I do want to thank you for this opportunity uh, to, your, to your pastors for allowing me to be, to be present with you. Uh, I was surprised this morning, uh, one of the ladies in the Sunday school class mentioned that there are a number of people who are from the Millington area, Millington, Tennessee, like a little suburb outside of Memphis, just a little bitty, a little bitty place. And uh, I, I was surprised that there's so many people who have some kind of connection there. I've grown up there, uh, lived there for most of my life, and uh, worked at the Starbucks that is within walking distance of the church that these two brothers served at. I was there for nine plus years, and I'll never remember them. I don't, our paths never crossed. It's just odd. You think small town that, that, uh, that you would think there's a whole lot of connection that's there. Um, but there's not. So, um, but but we have we have a lot in common either here, and we don't have no idea what that is. Uh, well, when Cody shared with you earlier that one of my responsibilities, in addition to, to being a pastor in Memphis, is the project development coordinator with Catalyst Missions, and uh, my my responsibility is to oversee several of the places where we are at work around the world. We want to be a theological resource for pastors who do not have access to theological training. And it may, you, you probably know the statistics, but much of the world is served by pastors who have little to no theological training. And that can be, that can be a problem. Like, we, we don't, we, we know that the Holy Spirit is not dependent upon seminaries in order to uh, educate every one of the, uh, the men that the Lord sets apart for the ministry of the gospel. But what we have determined to do is we want to find these areas. We want to develop relationships with faithful men in these areas. And we want to commit uh, over the course of three to four years to traveling there in order to, uh, to go through a, a systematic way of teaching the Bible. And we believe that this uh, is not only, it's not primarily beneficial to the, to the pastors who are involved. We do this because we want to glorify God and help strengthen and encourage the church. And, uh, and, and both of your pastors have been involved with trips with us, and uh, we thank God for that. Thank you, really, on, on behalf of Catalyst, on behalf of the kingdom of God. Thank you for having a vision for global missions. Thank you for uh, allowing um, not just your pastors, but members. I think Brock, I think he went with uh, Cody a few years ago to Ivory Coast. Um, thank you for your willingness to send people from this church. And even more personally, uh, I've had the opportunity to work a little uh, more closely with Justin in the last couple of years. He, uh, he oversees our project there in Nepal, and uh, it has been—it's uh, been a joy for me. And when when I, when I think about just uh, my relationship with project leaders that are there, and the kind of guys that you want to have uh, that are leading the ministry and overseas, uh, I could not handpick—I didn't handpick him, but I could not handpick a better guy uh, to serve alongside. Uh, he is a faithful brother, and so it's been. Uh, a joy to get to know him. It's been a, uh, he's been a wonderful example to me. He loves you. Like he loves this congregation. 
And, uh, and I think that's a, a wonderful testimony of the work of the Lord that's happening here uh, at Greg Gables for uh, God to raise up pastors that, that, uh, that love you. So in the, in the back or somewhere uh, in this, on, this, in this, on this campus, this facility, there are some prayer guides. And so uh, there should be an ample um, amount of these prayer guides. If you have opportunity, grab one of these. Uh, this can be a wonderful resource uh, to be praying for um, people by name. You can pray for the projects, but more importantly, you can pray for uh, pastors. And you can pray for some of the women who are involved in, uh, in women's discipleship. And uh, maybe this will be a great accompanying guide uh, as you're walking with your children each evening through some of the wonderful doctrinal truths that they have. So thank you again. Like, I'm, I really am grateful uh, for this church's involvement overseas and specifically with us. So keep, keep praying for us. I've been on two trips earlier this year with Catalyst, one and then a third one with our church. And then, uh, Lord willing, a little more than a month from now, I'll uh, go back to India. Uh, it's a new place uh, that we're working at. And then a month and a half after that, uh, I will be in Nigeria. And so uh, also pray for your pastors. They have uh, some potential trips in Nepal that are, that are coming up as well. And uh, we're, we're just thankful that God allows us to be uh, a part of that. So the sermon text that, uh, that we read this morning is Acts chapter 10. And I want to say on the front end that the sermon will be a little bit, uh, it's a little bit different than what uh, I'm normal, what, what, what's normal to me or what I'm accustomed to, which you know, when you're visiting in a place and the pastors hear that, they're like, man, that is not really what we want to hear right now. Um, my preference is, is, you know, it's always to just walk through a text, verse by verse, expositional preaching. So it's my, my understanding that you guys have been taking the scenic route through Second Samuel uh, in, the, in, the, in the past year. And Cody was like, when you get up today, just say the sermon text is from Second Samuel. I just want to see what they, what, what, what's, what, what's going to be their response. Today is going to be more of a themed sermon. Uh, we're we're going to take a whistle-stop tour through uh, the book of Acts. Uh, not verse by verse, not, not chapter by chapter, but I want to select a few themes that are related to global missions. And, uh, and, and, and let me just put all of my cards right out on the table right now. I'm persuaded... Not by my own intelligence, not by my own wisdom. Uh, I am persuaded from the Bible that God's plan A for reaching the world with his glorious gospel of the saving faith of Christ, his plan A is the local church. It's the local church. It's you. Wait, Wait a second. But I've never been overseas. I'm not even sure that I want to go overseas. I'm not even, I'm no longer able or capable of going overseas. That's okay. It's okay. God's plan A for reaching the world for Christ, for his own glory, is the church. And so my rally cry this morning is not for more missions organizations like Catalyst. I would love if a few years from now I didn't have a job with them. 
But my rally cry this morning is for the Lord to raise up more faithful, healthy, biblical churches. That's who God intends to use. You can even see in the, in the pattern of Acts how the local church was used in the sending out of missionaries. Even a church like Antioch. Each of Paul's three missionary journeys... You know the church that was the common denominator in that? It's, it's, it's Antioch. So that's, that's, that's the sermon <clears throat> in the 30-second version. But uh, thankfully they've given me a little more than 30 seconds uh, t- t- today. So, um, so I want you to imagine this. Imagine that you sense a call. <clears throat> you sense a call overseas. Then you have to be overseas. The church affirms this call. <clears throat> you go through some training. You learn the language. Now it's go time. You get dropped off in your new city to do ministry among a people group that's not yet engaged with the gospel. What do you do? Where do you begin? What do you say? Well, imagine it's like a neighborhood that... that, that is, it, is it Calhoun or Callahan? Callahan, okay. Sorry, I wrote it down incorrectly in my notes. So, so imagine you move into a neighborhood uh, like Callahan and you have new neighbors. You develop just new rhythms of life. You're a Christian, you're a member of First Baptist Church, Greg Gables, and you want to be a gospel witness in your neighborhood. What do you do? What do you say? Where do you begin? We can, we can take this illustration we can go on and on. Whether it's a new school, a new sports team that you're playing for, a new job. Um, you, can ask this, you can ask yourself this question if you've been a fixture in this community for 20 to 30 years. The question that I'm aiming for is, what does faithfulness look like where God has planted you? Or to ask the question in another way, what's the real need? What is the real need where you live? And I think Acts should invigorate the church. It should infuse health and a proper passion. Today's sermon is an effort to answer the question from Acts on what really is the mission of the church. So uh, there's a term called missional. I don't know if that's a term you all use. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, in some respects, it's kind of a buzzword. Uh, maybe to, to try to define missional in one way would be like trying to nail jello uh, to the wall. It, it's, it's, it's fluid. It's almost impossible. It's like, how do, you, I mean, how do you understand and really know what the meaning of that? I mean, you can ask somebody, uh, what, it, what does it mean to be on mission? And you're going to get a wide range of answers. Some would say uh, it involves doing good humanitarian things. It involves engaging your community. Or they may think of another reason to define what is the mission of the church. And I'm here to say that words and definitions really do matter. And one of the reasons Acts is intricate to understanding the nature and mission of the church is that we read of in Acts chapter 2. We read of their devotion to Christ. We read of their commitment to biblical fellowship, to prayer to outreach and evangelism, to mercy and social concern. We see that in the very beginning in Acts. 
And it's helpful for us to know when we understand what is the mission and nature of the church that Christ did not shed His blood for cities. He didn't shed His blood for building structures. He shed His blood for people. More affectionately described, His bride, the church. And the church, and and the Bible's just replete with the language that describes the people of God as being a family of faith, His bride, those who have been adopted as His sons and daughters. So, again, my, my rally cry, my aim this morning, the way in which I want to glorify and honor the Lord is uh, to encourage more faithful, healthy, biblical churches. So, here's the outline from Acts this morning. Christ is, first is Christ is real. Second is suffering is certain. And third is all must hear. So Christ is real. Suffering is certain. And all must hear. And I just want to demonstrate from the book of Acts where each of these are very prominent themes. So the first is Christ is real uh, because I want to highlight the importance of the resurrection. So the the apostles, the followers of Jesus, they were not the same men post-resurrection that they were before Jesus uh, died, was buried, um, rose again, and then appeared before him. So they they were not the same men post-resurrection. And if we were to read through the early part of Acts, we would see quite clearly that they were struck. By the resurrection. Acts chapter 1, the risen Christ said to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. This is the risen Christ saying to them, He he is about to go back to the right hand of the Father, which if you think about what's going on presently, He died, He's back with them, now He's going. Like the kind of fear that that might and concern that I might invoke within the disciples, but it's what he had already been telling them. I'm going to go. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And it's what he's telling them here. You will be my witnesses. Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon. You know, it's the same Peter that we read of in the Gospels, and it's like one moment you're encouraged by him, one moment you're thinking, man, is he... Is he, is he defecting from the faith. He's, he's denying. He's saying all these bold things about he's never going to deny Jesus. And then, you know, moments later, he's denying him three times. Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon about Christ. He reminded them from the Old Testament that David had spoke about the resurrection. Acts chapter 3, the beggar that was healed in the name of Jesus. The beggar, when he started to praise God over this, it started to cause a stir, a commotion among them. Peter then preached Christ again. How that they, the ones who were present, were the ones who had delivered Jesus, calling Him the Holy One, the Righteous One. That they had put to death the Prince of Life. That they had handed Him over to be crucified, as was prophesied and fulfilled. And that they should, this Peter's sermon, repent and turn, that their sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come over their soul. Peter was a recipient of this refreshing. 
You recall John chapter 21, that beachside chat that he had with Jesus. Jesus asked him three times, Simon, son of Marjona, do you love me? Tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter understood being present with the resurrected Christ, what it meant to turn from sin, to be restored, and to receive the times of refreshing for his soul. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they determined these men to be uneducated men, but also recognized them as having been with Jesus. You may recall their response when they were told, we, we ordered you to stop speaking in his name. And they said, we can't stop. You know, you judge for yourselves whether it's right for us to listen to you or to obey God. But as for us, we cannot stop speaking about the things which we have seen and we have heard. This was all as a result of Christ being raised from the dead. Acts chapter 5. All of Jerusalem was filled with the teaching of Christ. Now imagine that. All of Callahan being filled with the teaching of Christ. And again, they were reminded, we thought we told you all, we gave you, or the words were, we gave you strict orders. It should be clear to you that we told you to stop teaching about him. And yet, we see that they suffered. And that they were, went out from that presence after having been flogged, rejoicing. Because they had been considered worthy to suffer for the sake of His name. You don't leverage your life to Christ in the manner in which we just saw. Unless you believe He's real. Unless you believe He's alive. Unless you believe He's risen from the dead. Unless you believe He is the uh, second person of the Trinity, that He is the Son of God, that God sent Him to be the propitiation for our sins, that God sent Him to be our eternal life, that God sent Him to be the Savior of the world. You don't leverage your life in these ways if you are not persuaded and convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You don't go before the same group responsible for the crucifixion of Christ unless you believe He is real. So Peter and John, they knew the ones in which they were speaking to were the very ones responsible for handing Jesus over in the first place. The same and even worse could happen to them. But yet they used this opportunity to boast and testify the gospel of Jesus. Now when it comes to the resurrection... Probably most people that you run into will have some understanding, some, un, some idea. Maybe, they, maybe, maybe there will be a, a, a mental uh, attesting to the resurrection. Maybe they would say, yes, I can, I can get my mind around that there is this Jesus, that he lived on this earth, that, that he was crucified, and that he rose again from the dead. They may acknowledge this. But the resurrection hasn't quite marked them. Otherwise, they would give their life to Christ. And they would be vigorously committed to the local church. Especially those efforts, both within the community 
and all around the world. But unfortunately, Christ for many is just a sideshow that runs counter to what's really on the big screen of their life, which is self, me-centeredness. What do I want? What's important to me? What do I like? What do I value? What benefits me? What gets me further ahead? What, what's, my, what's my preference? Me, 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 me. Christ died and rose in order to deliver me from me. In reality, self is our worst enemy. And so we can have life, eternal life in Christ. And Acts puts on clear display that, that this Jesus is real. He's worthy, he's worthy of our full devotion to his teaching, to the breaking of bread, to biblical fellowship and prayer. None of these, none of, none of the things that I mentioned that we, that, that we see very clearly there in Acts, none of these are shortcuts on an easy life, but rather fruits of eternal life in Christ. None of these come without a cost, but rather promises, glorious expectations that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just in the sense that every Christian is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but filled with the power of God through the Holy Spirit, for holiness and life. So let me ask you this question. Is Christ real to you? Is He precious to you? Are you living each day, moment by moment, filled with His joy and life? For the early disciples, we see that Christ is real. Second, suffering is certain. The early churches understood the certainty of suffering. You see this all throughout Acts. It's a, you know, it's the. uh, There's no shortage of uh, of helps out there that that help you to know, like, okay, if you want, if you're interested in planting a church. We've got a booklet for you. We've got a book for you. We've got a training modules for you. We, we have so many things. We have so much access to helps. Um, but acts, the early church, didn't ha- they didn't have that. They didn't have those access to those training manuals. And they're, they're better served for that. But you know what? One of the main catalysts for, uh, for the start of new churches in Acts was? Suffering. Now, who has that as part of their church planning strategy? Now, who's going to their church and saying, hey, we want to see our church be involved to, to, to see, you know, three or four or five or ten churches being planted in the next ten years. And you know, you know, the, you know the approach, the process we're going to take? It's going to be suffering. I mean, nobody signs up for that. Nobody signs up for that. Yet, That's what God was doing. Suffering, persecution of the most intense variety. It was causing many of the Christians to spread, to scatter. But rather than going into 
dark caves, holes in the ground. They shared the gospel where they went. And as they shared the gospel where they went, people came to faith in Christ. And as you evangelize, you see people come to faith in Christ. Churches are formed. And it's a remarkable thing that God's doing and that He's using. Acts 11, there says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of God was with them. A great number of them believed and turned to the Lord. The church of Jerusalem catches wind of this. Sends to them, this is good, sends to them Barnabas, where he witnessed the grace of God among them and exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Barnabas encouraged them. Barnabas then sent for Paul, excuse me, Saul, and they remained in Antioch a year teaching. And it's here that the disciples were first called Christians. God's doing a work in the midst of great persecution. The church at Jerusalem hears about that. Sends Barnabas. Barnabas spends some time with them. Encourages them. It's a young church. Remain faithful to the Lord. Saul comes. They spend a year teaching. Discipleship. And it's here that they're first called Christians. Acts chapter 17. uh, The church at Thessalonica. Where Paul eventually writes... 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, you realize that this church was about three to four weeks old. Three to four weeks old when they started suffering persecution. Paul's preaching. Jews become angry. They drive him out of Thessalonica. So they're agitated. They're stirred up. They They eventually went after those connected with Paul. He fled by night to Berea. The Jews learned that he was there. They went after him over there. So the early church understood the reality of suffering. The Apostle Peter in Acts understood the certainty of suffering. Read earlier from Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5 that you remember that they, had, they were told not to, not to speak of Christ. They did so anyway. Persecution came on them as a result. And then there was one moment that, that with, with Peter and John, uh, that they were going to do great harm to them. And then a man named Gamaliel stood up and said, wait, 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 wait. Let's consider something. Like if these guys really aren't not of the Lord, that, that, that's going to be proven true. But if they are of the Lord, right, we don't want to find ourselves to be fighting against the Lord. So instead they flogged them. And that's the moment where they went out from their presence rejoicing because they had been considered worthy to suffer for the sake of His name. And what's remarkable, if we, if we, if we had the time to read through Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, that accompanying this persecution and suffering were moments where they were standing before the leaders and they were testifying about Jesus. So you see in God's kind providence, we don't necessarily see it as kind, but when we trust in His eternality, 
that in his kind providence, he was arranging these situations where they would suffer, but in turn be given opportunity to boldly propagate the gospel. Earlier we made reference to Stephen. Acts chapter 7, we see his account. He preaches Christ from the Old Testament. These Jews that are present, they're tracking along, they're tracking along until the end. And it's at the end where he ties them into what he's saying that Acts chapter 7 said, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and the said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, covered their ears. So they're gnashing at this man who's preaching Christ from their understanding of the Old Testament. They're gnashing their teeth at him. He's praying on their behalf and they're covering their ears and they rushed him and they stoned him. And as we keep reading, we, we see that there's a, a person who's standing by, who's giving consent, his approval. It's Saul. He understood with absolute certainty that suffering awaits those who give their life for the conversion of the heathen. Paul suffered as a Jewish zealot because he caused others to suffer. It was his job to try to exterminate Christianity. The very first verse in Acts chapter 8, immediately after the stoning of um, Stephen, says Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. That a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Verse 3, Paul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Yet, they continued to preach the word everywhere that they were scattered. We can read of Acts chapter 9, where God got a hold of Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And then he brings him to the home of a man named Ananias. And he's, the Lord says to him, He is my chosen instrument. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So you imagine Ananias, really that, 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 that guy, he's here. But again, in God's kind providence, Acts 20, and now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. This is what Paul's saying here. Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying, bonds and afflictions await me. He's like, I'm I'm not entirely certain what's about to happen, but this this is what I am certain of. Bonds and afflictions await me. Suffering is certain. Suffering is real. That's, that's part of the Christian 
life. He said, I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself, but rather to finish the race that is marked out for me. You don't get much more antagonistic against the gospel than Saul. Be encouraged by the mercy of God and relentless to pray for those who you perceive to be furthest from faith and repentance. Like Saul's the kind of guy that we would not want to give much attention to at all, but rather would want to avoid. And yet we see the wonderful grace and mercy that God had upon his soul. Most importantly, Christ understood the certainty of his own suffering. On full display in Acts is that everything Christ said regarding his suffering is true. All throughout the Gospels, he had been telling his disciples what was going to happen to him. I mean, how many times did he say he was going to suffer? Or he was going to be handed over? He was going to suffer? He was going to be crucified. He was going to die. He was going to be buried. And then three days later, he would rise again. How many times did he tell his followers that that is what is going to happen to him? And we know there's one of those moments, Peter standing up trying to rebuke Jesus. Because he wasn't going to let that happen. Jesus instead rebuked him and told him he was setting his interest on Um, the interest of man rather than God. Like Peter in that moment didn't realize that what he's saying, though it sound noble, though it sound a lot of bravado in that, you really are going to prevent your Savior from dying for your sins? Christ understood he was going to suffer. That his followers were going to suffer. Christ is considered in Isaiah chapter 53 to be the suffering servant. Hebrews picks up that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Philippians 2 speaks of his humility. That he was obedient to the point of death on a cross. It's through the suffering of Christ that we can be healed. But the Bible is also clear on the certainty of suffering for all of Christ's followers as well. Colossians chapter 1, 24. Paul says, now I rejoice. Now I rejoice in my body, for I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What he means there, he's he's not saying that the suffering of Jesus on the cross was insufficient but rather the pattern for the, for the Christ follower going on is that we would continue to suffer in similar ways that Christ suffered. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. James 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith must develop perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Job 13, 15, Though he may slay me, yet I will hope in him. 1 Peter 1, 6-7, These trials have come. 
so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, may uh, be proven genuine, refined, may be proven genuine, and result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the psalmist in Psalm 119, 71, it was good that I was afflicted, that I may learn of the statutes of God. So all throughout the Bible we see as a follower of Christ, we are going to suffer. We have a history of those who've gone before us who've suffered. Adoniram Judson, one, responsible for uh, the Bible in the Burmese language. His wife passed away before they ever set foot on land, the very land, that the Myanmar or, or Burma. Before they set foot on Burma, his wife passed away, buried six of his children. Six years before he saw his first convert, one moment in prison, he's, he's hiding the translation that he has in his possession while he's hung up feet first all night long with the mosquitoes just picking at him all night long. Present day. I wish I had, I, I, I wish I had opportunity to share with you in more detail what I encountered this time last year when I was in Nigeria. 121 students taken from school. It happened two weeks before we were there. We went to the school, met with a family, met with the, uh, not the headmaster, but kind of the second guy in charge. He, he recounted the events of the night where the Fulani came in and took most of the students that are there because they want to exterminate Christianity. And to sit with the, 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 the faithful followers of Jesus there and to listen to them pray in faith, to listen to them hope in the Lord, to listen to some of the Nigerian pastors say every single day, like, we, we thank God that we make it through the day. Literally. He said, every day we wake up not knowing, is today really the last day that we have here on earth? So, they couldn't get rid of Christianity in first century. They couldn't exterminate the Messiah. But two years later... There are all kinds of efforts to try to snuff out the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must remain faithful. We must remain committed to the word. We must realize that there's going to continue to be suffering. And we can do so with this one great eternal hope. God's already won. He's already won. That's certain. He's already won. So that can, give, that can give us confidence, it can give us hope, and it can serve as our motivation out of love for Him to continue to remain to be faithful to Him. Lastly, all must hear. All must hear. Uh, Acts chapter 1, 8. 
like, again, you, you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. That is in literal context. And so you and I, we thank God for the ways that's being fulfilled because you and I are recipients of the gospel. Many of us here are followers of Jesus Christ on the basis that the gospel has come in ways to the uttermost parts of the earth. God has been kind and gracious to send us people who have shared the gospel with us. But I, I do want to... Part of the prayer for this morning is that God would raise up from among this flock some of you who would be willing to give your life for the glory of Christ, for the health of the church, for the salvation of souls, that you would give your life and go somewhere around the world and spend your days here on earth sharing the gospel and perhaps being a part of planting a healthy and faithful church. Selfishly, that's tough to think about and consider at times when we, we you know, it's people that we love and we care. We, we, want, to, we want to hold on to them. And I, I remember a missionary from Malaysia a few years ago when there were two, two or three of our, uh, probably our, our more solid families in the church. They were leaving at the same time. And, uh, and I was just asking him to pray for us. And his response was, he said, I just want you to know the joy of sending. I want you to know and experience the joy of sending. And he, the way he captured that was, was so well. It's, it is bittersweet. It's tough. But I, want, I, I hope this church can know the joy of sending. That there will be some from among you that... And sometime soon, they're going to stand in front of you. You're going to lay hands on them as a congregation. And you're going to be crying big ugly, you know, big ugly face cries as, you're, as, you're, as you see them go. But they're tears of joy. Because God's worth it. His church is worth it. Our life is His. And we want to see more people place their faith in Christ. Acts sets the course for global evangelization. In the first seven chapters, the apostles proclaim Jesus in Jerusalem. In chapters 8 through 10, the apostles proclaim Jesus in Judea and Samaria. And then in chapters 11 through 28, the apostles go to the uttermost. He told them, verse 8, this is what's going to happen. It's where you're going to be my witnesses. And Acts, fulfill, we, we, we see that happening in Acts. They started churches. Again, the church of Antioch was the leader for understanding multi-ethnicity in a congregation. Acts chapter 5, they filled the city with teaching. Acts chapter 16, they upset the world with this teaching. And they did all of this while keeping at the very core the essentials. They never strayed away from devotion to Christ. Again, let's go back to the very beginning, the introduction, that what is the mission and nature of the church? In some ways, you can ask 15 pastors 
that question and you may get 20 answers. But let the Bible define and determine and serve as our example for how to answer what is the mission and nature of the church. What is this church to invest her energy in? It has to be devotion to Christ. It has to be devotion to His Word. Devotion to prayer. Biblical fellowship. To the breaking of bread. To the meeting of the needs that are in this household of faith. And care and concern, not only for those who are around you, but for those all around the world. If we're not careful, we'll, we'll, we'll muddy that up. We'll complicate it with a lot of things that are maybe in the realm of important, maybe in the realm of things that you're passionate about, but they start to drift away from what God has clearly called the church to care for and to be concerned with. I plead with you, don't let anything detract or take you away from what 2 Corinthians 11 describes as a pure devotion to Christ. So let me wrap it up with with just four, if you want to call them application or just four things that you can consider. One One would be to pray. That sounds simple enough and seems like that's the application for everything. But maybe do a healthy survey of how often we're, we're, we're praying for God to work globally, locally. When I do that, I'm often convicted of, of uh, not, not trying to throw guilt there, but often convicted that I think and talk more than pray. Being committed to praying. Second, I would encourage you to cultivate relationships where God has sovereignly placed you. You know, you are where you are, not only because you got a good deal on a home or because you got a bad deal. You're not, you, you don't work where you work primarily because that's just, you know, your, your, your vocation of interest or where you play sports or where you do something connected with school or your homeschool. Co- Think about where God has placed you in life. Leverage those relationships. Use that as an opportunity to cultivate conversations about Christ. Be a Christ-like presence in the areas where God has sovereignly placed you. You can start small. I'm always blown away when somebody comes in and talks about, man, let's reach the world for Christ. Like, man, it's a big world. It's a big world. Where do you begin? Or you need to be sharing gospel with somebody. Like, where do you begin? Start small. I, I, would, I would just throw out there, pick one person. Who's the person that comes to mind right now that you think, man, I just don't know. I don't know if they're a follower of Christ or not. Pray about that person and see if God might open the opportunity for you to be able to share with them about Jesus. Perhaps God's placed a burden on you for a people group around the world. Pray about that people group. Come talk with your pastors and just say, man, is there anything, any way we can be active or engaged or just know more or pray about this?
people group. I would encourage you to be proactive. Praise the Lord for biblical fellowship within the church. But we can't expect members to be added to the church through conversion to Christ uh, if we're not lovingly and intentionally engaging them with the gospel. So we, we shouldn't have a, uh, I'm just going to sit back and let other people do that sort of approach. Or, I don't know if this is true here, but sometimes the mindset can be, well, that's just, man, that, that's, that's why we have pastors. That's, that's their job to talk to people about Jesus. You know, my job is to, you know, to sit in the same pew with them. It's the church's responsibility to be proactive and engage. And lastly, just um, and leverage, your, leverage your life for Christ. Let's long for the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that God is glorified by the world, taking notice that we are a people who believe and live as though Christ is enough. One of the most compelling... Think of the word here. One of the most compelling uh, approaches to a community is when a church leverages their life all for Christ. When there's devotion to Jesus. There's no doubt that people who have little interest in the church or those who've been scarred by the church, they... They, they, in some ways, know what a Christian is. But when you devote your life to Christ, in many respects, that looks different to them than their experience. So that's, to, to be a compelling witness, there we go, that's the word, to be a compelling witness in the community, I would encourage you, Live with a pure devotion to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us today um, with this theme of global missions, of every people, tongue, tribe, nation, being represented around your throne, praising you, worshiping you. Psalm 96, that wonderful command to say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Like so many passages in the Bible that that speak to you being glorified, you being worshiped all around the world. I pray, Lord, that you would use this congregation, this Stir up love and affection for you. Pray that you would be pleased to raise up from within this flock those who would take your gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. We pray that you would continue to use them uh, in the local and global evangelistic efforts that their hands are connected with. Pray that you would help them to be bold. Help them to live lives that are holy in front of lost people. And we pray, Lord, that this, you would use this church, Lord, use this church to be a lighthouse in this community, in the greater part of the city. And we pray that you would do it for your glory 
and for their joy in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. I love that song. Um, many of you, I know we grew up with it, hearing it all the time, and yet I love it because it's always a challenge to me because sometimes that, that song was really difficult for me to sing and me not be a liar, <laughs> right? So, so we all just sang it. You just, you just sang it as truth wherever he leads, I'll go. The question I'm asking is, is that true? I hope we weren't all just lying when we, we sang that together, but we really recognize wherever the Lord leads, and, and listen, that's not just some sort of Holy Spirit mystical sensing, wherever he leads through the obedience and the commands of his word, Father, I'll go. If this, and I'm determining your will in this sense, and I, I see this as clear in your word, Lord, help me to go and obey. I pray that no man be a liar as we sing that word, and yet the challenge is ever there before us this morning, isn't it? Everyone must hear. We've been equipped uh, to evangelize. We've walked through that on Wednesday night. Um, even in that, it was, what, three or four months ago, what has the Lord brought about through obedience to the call to evangelize, to make disciples, to walk through it? Listen, when we talk about worship, grow, serve here, you know that's just, that's not like a program, right? This, this is what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want that because we, we want you, we want the Lord to bring about the fullest understanding of his word in your life. And it, you, you're, you're missing something to the Christian life if you are not worshiping the risen, alive Christ, growing in the knowledge of his word and the fellowship and, and the prayer and the spiritual disciplines and then taking those things and serving the kingdom of God with them. So I, look, I, I know it can sound programmatic when we get here, but the reality is you've been challenged today. We don't just go to church to consume and take in. The very purpose for our existence is to live for the glory of King Jesus, and there's no way we can live for the glory, glory of King Jesus completely detached from the mission. And the greatest, the greatest tool God has, his plan A, it was said, to reach the nations with the gospel is us. We may hear that and think, really? But we need to hear that and think, how good is God that he would allow us the privilege of sharing his glorious gospel with the nations? Like how good is he that he would allow us any part in this knowing what we once were and what we've been made now in Christ? He's good. It is a privilege to share Christ. It is a privilege to talk about his gospel, to live on mission. And my encouragement for you this morning is that you would take hold of that and ownership of that within the church and outside. So if you're here and you're a Christian, you know yourself to be a Christian, the invitation is very clear. You've been challenged today by the word of God in the book of Acts. Thanks, by the way, for covering an entire book in one sermon when I'm been a year in 2 Samuel. Um, so, set the stage high. But you've been challenged through the book of Acts today. You've been challenged. All must hear. Who has heard from your lips? Who? 
I'm not saying who, when have you posted something scriptural on Facebook. Who has heard the gospel message from your lips? If all must hear, who's heard it from you? And if, if the answer is no one, how can we equip and encourage you more that the gospel is worthy enough to be declared? And second, maybe you're here and you're saying, okay, the, I, I can't get past the first part. Christ is real. Friends, hear this. God created this world and everything in it, including mankind, the chief of all of his creation, commissioned to run this world under the authority of God, a loving father who walked in fellowship with mankind, For his glory they were created, to exist for him and his purposes, and yet they rejected the good and righteous rule of God and instead decided to be kings and gods of their own life. The problem with that is it's sin. It broke the law of this good, holy, creative God. And in doing so, brought about the just penalty for their sin, which was death. The wages of sin are death, and not just physical death, but eternal death and spiritual death and inability for man to come back into relationship with God the Father on their own. So the reality is, every one of us born here today could have been sent and separated from God for all of eternity. He could have sent us to hell. We could have, could have borne the punishment for our own sins, and not one of us would be able to look at God and say, you're unjust. It's what we deserved and earned. But out of his great love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, to bear the punishment for our sins, and to give us the gift of his righteousness that he earned, never having sin, never breaking God's law in any way, shape, or form. And if we would repent, that is, turn away from living our lives like we're the center of the universe and living it for Christ, with Christ as the center, repenting, turning away from our sins, and trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was sufficient for our salvation, that today we can have eternal life. And then we get to be about that mission of taking that good news and sharing it with our neighbors. It's a privilege. So I don't know how the Lord is dealing with your heart today. I don't know what he's convicting you of. I'm expecting, if, if you're like me, he's convicted you of quite a bit through the preaching of his word this morning. We have opportunity for you to deal with that and respond to that after our service. Brother Justin will be down front as well as some other deacons, I believe, will be love the opportunity to just pray with you. If you're a Christian who's convicted over sin and direction in life, we'd love the opportunity to take now to pray with you. But if you know yourself not to be a Christian, you have questions about what that looks like, come forward. We'd love to take all day, if we have to, to share Christ from the Scriptures with you so you today can leave knowing you're secured in Him.